They are coming back, but who are the two witnesses? Well, before I reveal to you who I believe these two witnesses are, let me first introduce to you the three possible candidates. Number one, John the Baptist. In case you've never heard of the two witnesses, in the Bible there's an end times prophecy that God will appoint two of his witnesses in the very last days to warn the people to turn back to their living God. This will be one of the last ever times for mankind to finally repent and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two witnesses will be given special powers, they'll be able to perform great miracles and there they will stand for three and a half years preaching on the streets of Jerusalem. But the prophecy also goes like this, the Antichrist at that time will rise up and he will kill both of those two witnesses. And there the two witnesses will lie dead in the public square and all the world will rejoice, will be happy that those two witnesses have been slaughtered. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Come back with me in time. Imagine you and I have gone back 500 years and together we read this verse. We'd be very puzzled at how this can possibly turn out. How can all the people of the world see these dead bodies in Jerusalem? And yet Yet today, in the year that we live right now, suddenly the book of Revelation doesn't seem so far-fetched, does it? Because right now we have phones, we have computers, we have televisions, and one video, one bit of footage can go viral around the whole world. But what's even more interesting is, it actually says in the scripture that these two witnesses, God, will raise them back to life. Again, have you ever heard people say this? Why didn't they just have an iPhone back in the days of Jesus? Why didn't someone just film Jesus dead on the cross and then risen from the grave? That would make everyone be able to believe a lot easier. Well, when these two witnesses rise from the dead, I'll tell you, every single news station in the world, every single social media platform will have it all over, plastered in front of your faces. So you cannot deny that God is real and he moves in the spirit. So why John the Baptist? Well, Jesus Christ himself said this, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Are you catching that? So in other words, Jesus Christ is saying, out of all the men in the world, out of all the women in the world, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. So doesn't it make sense that if this is the greatest man, would God not use him again to preach repentance to the whole world? And so he would be one of the two witnesses. And also, did you know this? John the Baptist only had a six month ministry. He was only able to preach for just six months and then he was beheaded. My dear friends, that seems like a very short amount of time. And again, would it not be possible that God might say, John, you've got another opportunity to preach. Here's another chance to preach repentance. I'm going to unleash you on the whole world that the message of faith might go out and that others may turn to the Lord Jesus Christ again. But hey now, Revelation tells us that these two witnesses will be wearing sackcloth. And why will they be wearing sackcloth? 
Well, in the Bible, whenever a prophet was clothed in sackcloth or the people wore it, it was a sign that they were grieving over sin, that they were broken. It was also a sign that God's judgment, God's doom was coming. And so the prophets would wear it as a way of saying, repent, turn from your ways. And what do we know about John's message? It was a message of repentance. But I do wonder if there's anyone watching this video now who's thinking, do you know, I would love to be one of those two witnesses. That would be one of the utmost privileges to preach the gospel, to preach and prophesy in the end times, to tell people to turn back to Christ. And I want to say this, there's no reason why it wouldn't be an ordinary believer. I mean, after all, God can raise up stones to witness, to cry out for him. So why could he not use an ordinary believer like you and I? But one thing you have to remember is this, these two witnesses will be put to death. And whoever steps up to the mark has to be willing to die. And what did we just say about John the Baptist? John the Baptist was bold as a lion. He called out the public figure of the day, Herod, and he says, you must turn from this sin. It is not lawful for you to have that woman as your wife. Repent. And what happened? He lost his head for the Lord Jesus. My dear friend, if you want to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's one of the two witnesses or whether it's in these days that we live right now, every single one of us needs to ask ourselves this very big question, am I willing to lose my head for the Lord Jesus Christ? Sounds radical, but those days might just come. But perhaps the strongest argument that John the Baptist could be one of the two witnesses is found on the last page of the Old Testament. The final prophecy of the Old Testament says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So God has promised that just before the final judgment that he pours out all of his wrath on the earth, there will come the prophet Elijah. And Jesus, how did Jesus refer to John the Baptist? He said, if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. But okay, we've kind of hit a problem here because John the Baptist himself actually said, I am not Elijah. So why did Jesus say he was? Well, could it be that when Jesus is saying, if you accepted John the Baptist as Elijah, he would have been that for you. Could it be because the Jewish people did not accept John the Baptist, the vast majority that is, could it be that God in his infinite wisdom has sort of engineered another situation where the real Elijah will one day turn up? Or could it be, as the angel of the Lord said, that John the Baptist would be operating in the same spirit, the same power as Elijah? Whatever the reason is, I'm not sure, but there's one thing I do believe. That prophecy in Malachi still has not yet been fulfilled. And one day, the real Elijah, not the likeness of Elijah, but the real Elijah will turn up and will preach the judgments of the Lord God. So you can probably guess who number two is. It's Elijah. Now before I present to you the evidence of why I believe Elijah will be one of the two witnesses, let me first ask you, do you believe that John the Baptist is going to be one of these mysterious prophets who turns up in the tribulation? Well, we're going to look at the answer very shortly. So apart from this incredible prophecy that Elijah is one day going to return, is there any other evidence that he could be one of the two witnesses? But what about this one? Did you 
you know that one of the signs of these two witnesses is this. Anyone who tries to lay their hands on the two witnesses, anyone who tries to harm them, it is said about these two prophets that fire will come out of their mouth and will devour them. And what is one of the miracles that Elijah is very famous for? He was able to command fire to come out of heaven. Do you remember those 50 men who were sent by the king who said, Elijah, you must come now, come before the king. And what did Elijah do? He commanded fire to come down from heaven and they were totally consumed. Do you remember when Elijah stood before the people of Israel and cried out, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, well then serve him. But if the Lord is God, well then serve him. After Elijah pleaded with the people of Israel to give all to the Lord, he then challenged the prophets of Baal and said this, If your God, if Baal is real, why not tell him to send fire down and command the sacrifice, this bull sacrifice in front of us, tell him to light it with a fire. And so the prophets of Baal, all morning it says, all morning until noon, they were crying out, Baal, please answer us, please answer us, Baal, let this fire light but no fire was ever lit. And then the prophets of Baal looked at Elijah. It was his turn now. So Elijah told the people of Israel to make a sacrifice, put a bull on top of it. He then said, pile the wood up and then I want you to take 12 jars of water. So they poured 12 jars of water all over the sacrifice. And if there was ever a time that Elijah needed the Lord God to turn up, it was now. You could cut the tension with a knife. And he looked up to heaven and he said, Lord, send the fire. And what happened? God sent fire from heaven and showed everyone who the true living God is. But another powerful clue that Elijah is one of the two witnesses is that Elijah never died. You see, in the Bible, there were only two people who never died. One was Elijah and who was the other? It was Enoch. And that's why some people also say that Enoch also could be one of these two witnesses. But for me personally, here's the most convincing piece of evidence. The Bible says, and I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Now just remember that number, keep that in your mind. It then says, they have power to shut up heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. So Elijah was known for fire, but he is also known as the prophet who stopped the rain. But how long did Elijah stop the rain for? Well, James 5 verse 17 gives us the answer. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Now, do you remember that number? 1,260 days. If you take all of those days and add them up together, guess how many years you get? Three and a half years. Is that a coincidence? Will you tell me? Okay, before I give you the third candidate, I want to hear from you. Do you think that Elijah could be one of those two witnesses? Well, in a moment's time, I'm gonna give you my answer of who I believe these two witnesses are. But first, number three, 
Moses. When I first saw this, it blew my brains out. Guys, in the book of Revelation, we read that these two witnesses will have the power to turn water into blood, and they will also have the power to command every kind of plague to fall on the earth. What do we know about Moses? Through the power of God, he was able to turn the river Nile, the waters of that huge river, into blood. And he was also, through the power of God, he was able to command ten plagues to fall on the people of Egypt. Why did Moses perform these great miracles? It was to wake the people up and to say, you need to obey the living God. And my dear friends, that's the exact same reason why the two witnesses will use these miraculous signs to say to the whole world, wake up. God is real and one day you will stand before him and if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ you will be trapped in hell forever but if you receive him you will have eternal life and you will live in his kingdom and enjoy total joy and happiness for all of eternity worshipping the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's the bit that really got me. To this day, no one knows where Moses is buried. But the devil himself seems to have a particular fascination, a particular obsession with the body of Moses. The book of Jude says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You see, what I find particularly peculiar is this. Why was the devil so concerned about the body of Moses? Why was he not arguing about the body of Noah, the body of Samson or Jonah? Why Moses? Could it be that the devil, who knows the scriptures better than any Christian watching this video right now, better than any theologian in any Bible college, could it be that the devil knows that one day Moses is going to be resurrected and he is going to be one of those two witnesses to bring many sons, many daughters back to the living God? I mean, think about this. Could there be anything more convincing for the people of Israel when they see Moses, their forefather, the one who brought them the law, the one who brought them the Ten Commandments, when they see Moses living and breathing amongst them, preaching in the streets of Jerusalem and saying, I am telling you the truth, Jesus Christ is our Messiah, turn to him. Do you not think that the people of Israel are going to have their eyes opened and there might just be a huge, big revival of the Jewish nation? where many turn to the living God and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the wait is nearly over. Before I reveal to you who I think these two witnesses are, there's one final piece of the puzzle that we need to think about, and it's this. The prophet Zechariah, he talked about these two witnesses thousands of years earlier, but he called them two lampstands, two olive trees. And did you know this? In the book of Revelation chapter 11, those exact words are echoed. But why are there only two witnesses? Well, all the way through the Bible, there seems to be an emphasis on the power of two witnesses. In Deuteronomy, it says, through two witnesses, two or three witnesses, a word shall be established. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, do you remember how many angels sat on the tomb to witness that the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead? There was two. Do you remember when Joshua sent spies out to Jericho? How many did he send? He sent two. And finish the sentence for me. The Lord sent the disciples out in twos. 
So, who do I believe these two witnesses are? I could be totally wrong about this, but I believe the answer lies in the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's go up the mountain and let's stand there with Peter, James and John. And God himself paired up two men to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who were those two men? Moses and Elijah. And personally, I believe that God is going to use that exact same pair in the tribulation and that Moses and Elijah are going to be those two witnesses. Moses will represent every believer who has died in the Lord and has been resurrected and brought back to life. Whilst Elijah will represent every single believer who has been preserved from the grave because the Lord Jesus Christ has come again. Moses will represent the law whilst Elijah will represent the prophets. This might shock some of you, but if you only remember one thing from this video, let it be this. You might never live to see who these two witnesses are, but I want to tell you right now, you are alive and there is a man stood in front of you now who is witnessing to you, pleading with you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember a couple of minutes ago when I showed you the prophecy in Malachi about how Elijah will return? Do you know what the very last word in that prophecy is? Do you know what the very last word in all of the Old Testament is? It's this word, the word curse. And did you know this? In the book of Revelation, which we've just been studying, do you know what one of the very last words in all of the Bible, the very last verse in the Bible says this one word? Grace. And my dear friend, there is only one thing I've got to ask you, and it's this. Are you under the curse or are you under grace? If you're under the curse, it looks like this. You've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now you stand before the Lord God bare. And all of the law is in front of you. All of the law that you have broken. All of those skeletons, which all of us have, if we're honest. We all have skeletons in our closets. All of the sins that we have committed. We stand there before God. And we will be judged. And we will be cast into hell for all of eternity. If we reject the Son of the living God. But again, I want to remind you, if you've got breath in your lungs, if your heart is beating right now, you have an opportunity to fall under the grace of God. And it's all you have to do is come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on a cross, the one who was punished for your sin, the one who was crucified, who was crushed, who was bruised, who was beaten, who suffered there. His blood was poured out so that your sins can be scrubbed away, so your sins can be washed away. This same God, this same Saviour, Jesus Christ, he died, he was buried, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And that's why we put our trust in him, because he is the living God who is prepared to save any sinner who will humbly say, Lord God, save me, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And I've got to ask you, will you receive this grace, this free gift? Being a Christian isn't about being a good boy or a good girl, trying to curry up the favour of God. No, the Bible says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is nothing good in us. No, grace is all about receiving everything that Christ Jesus has done. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. And God today will give you his spiritual riches, his righteousness as a gift. And it's all at Christ's expense because he died there for you 
so you could be forgiven. I've actually remembered something else I forgot to tell you. It actually says that when the two witnesses are killed, people will make themselves merry. They'll start giving gifts to rejoice that these two men of God, these two prophets who tormented them are now dead. Why do you think those people will say they've tormented them? I'll tell you why it is. Because those prophets will be a reminder that they need to turn from their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people, the people of this world, love their sin so much. If you love your sin very much, you must, must watch this message right now. And friends, if you haven't yet subscribed, please do. We'd really appreciate your friendship here at Off The Curb Ministries.